Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest is a film and television actor having appeared in nurse jackie my introduction to him which was big time in hollywood florida narcos mexico the fantastic show for all mankind and the upcoming peacemaker series and when he's not doing that he and his dog belush are being mercilessly stalked by an unrelenting neighborhood cat please welcome lenny jacobson welcome <laughs> hey oh the intro i was really enjoying it and then you made me laugh at the end because <laughs> you brought first of all how you doing i'm good how are you good, good. i'm good yeah i uh the intros are always funny. I went back because you had, I, I was going to do this show with you and I, I, uh, on, I hadn't, I hadn't heard, I didn't know what it was. And so I had seen that a couple of people I know had been on it, uh, Adam Pally and Brian Husky. And I listened to Adams like a couple hours ago when I was walking and the intros are very funny. Well, especially if you have a running intro that's your go-to. So if you started your intro with this hellscape, Luckily, yeah. that will probably be, that's canon for the rest of time. You can say hellscape. It's evergreen. It's an evergreen <laughs> intro. Yeah. So I was, you know, anticipating the intro and I, the Brandon, a.k.a. Brandon, and I was like, oh, that's, that, that's the bit. And then you, you brought up the dog. Yeah, the, uh, on Instagram, I had posted the other day, my dog and I were walking in this very nice neighborhood, and. I didn't notice this cat, but he had kind of popped, or he or she, or they, had popped out, and Belouche kind of stopped, and I didn't see why, and then I looked over and saw the cat, and I was like, oh, look at the kitty, and I've seen that cat around before, Yeah. but he was unrelenting in his stance. He just stood there um, and was not about to move. and then as we, you know, Belushi is a, he's a dog. I don't think that would attack a cat ever. And a cat can defend themselves anyways. Um, and he was kind of wagging his tail and very interested. And the cat just started to growl a little like, and then a hissing. And, um, and so we backed up and then he proceeded forward. And then it kept going. I've never seen a cat really just stalk in that in that grand sense. It was really fun to watch, but also I knew that I should keep the dog away because I think he would have gotten a he would have gotten a smack on the nose. Well, looking at that video too, though, this wasn't like a cat stalking in the slinking and trying not to be seen type of way either. It no. was like a a Jason esque determination. Like you walk, it just stood there, and then it walks casually like it looks seemed like the most confident cat in the world he never gave up ground he never backtracked he never sidestepped uh, and he was fully in the right and wanted to i'm not sure it's funny i got a few messages someone said well i think he's trying to be friendly i'm like well he was hissing and had a bit of a growl like you know yeah um and I, I, it's maybe it's a, a staking its claim type of thing. I've just never seen a cat act like that, and I'm sure they do. I don't. I'm not a, a big cat person, but it was truly fun, and and I couldn't help but laugh at it. But then also had to be careful not to get my dog into a situation that he would have gotten smacked, or you know, cats can handle themselves for sure, especially like cats that are like the neighborhood cats, which you know maybe there's a little bit of virility in there, but. 
some of those cats just do not fuck around. Well, oh, yeah, it's another thing, too. Yeah, you think of house cats. He's a street cat. You know, he's he's out there. So he's been through it all. And my dog is not aggressive. So, oh, that's that's true. It could have been also he's going from uh, history. And, and, then, and then that case, he's had bad history with dogs who have kind of uh, given given him the business so he or he she was standing its ground yeah it seems like seems like it's definitely um done this before just because it was so like matter of fact as if like all right this is what i do and then this is what you do and i gotta do this a little bit more and then we'll we'll know who the boss is here all the way to all the way to our driveway wow all the way now the 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 bad part is though now when I walk him I want to encounter again to see if over time there will be a softening or if they become uh you know if he he now recognizes Belouge and they can they can find some middle ground of course as we say this for any of your listeners if they do decide to look at my Instagram this video is no longer there you know what I'll have to put it in the little highlights thing because it is something worth checking back in maybe i could have a running series of interactions with this cat and see if someday we end up in a more uh, peaceful peaceful place with him and belouche yeah i'd like to see an ongoing the ongoing saga of it because <laughs> it. It, it was like a very like interesting and intriguing video and now yeah. I, I am curious about is there a next step or is this just how it goes in this relationship because i feel like it will be softened next time but i don't know but for the dog, for the cat's own sanity and protect, I think it probably has to keep that that uh, that personality at all times for its own protection, right? I mean, probably you can't let your guard down because look, if there is a time he meets a dog, or I don't know why I keep making it a male cat, but I, you know what? I think I'm gonna give her. I'm gonna start using female because I think it did have a little bit more of a. I felt the strength was more female driven. You know okay. what I mean? Or yeah. or in that sense, so. If she does let her guard down and then she gets caught, she gets caught, caught slipping, as they would say. And the and the dog takes advantage of its kindness. It's true. Although, you, you know, and Belushi does seem to have, I mean, the definite size advantage and probably absolutely probably the size advantage over most dogs on average. But also his demeanor seems to be more passive or uh, nervous. Even what is his general demeanor? He is a he is a nervous he has some anxieties. He's a very calm, yet highly anxious animal who has very specific uh, things that he will and won't do. Uh, he has fears, like anyone else. He likes to be uh, he likes to be in his home and underneath a desk or or comfortable in those types of situations. And then skateboards are his biggest fear. Interesting. Uh, he he deals with. A phobia of skateboards for sure. Why do you think that is? Do you think they're so I, you know, loud? I got him. I got him when he was pretty young. He was probably two or th- he was probably three or four months, and um, he he was a very he was somewhat timid then. It's noises he doesn't really like. I, I've told this story where the first like month I had him, we took a walk. I had tied him to like this sign so I could go inside somewhere, but unbeknownst to me the sign was was not uh, planted strong enough and he moved and the sign fell over and it like slammed to the ground and it scared the hell out of him and he ran i mean he bolted down the street uh we were on sunset boulevard 
somewhat busy, like four o'clock in the afternoon. And he just took off. And this is, you know, this is probably three weeks into owning him after rescuing him. And his name had changed. It used to be Oso, O-S-O. Mm-hmm. And uh, I changed it to, to Belouche. So he, I don't even know if he was really comfortable with that new name. So now he's about three driveways away from me and on the run. And I like bend down and I'm like, come here, buddy. Come here, uh, Belouche. And then I'm like, oh, fuck it. I just got to go back to the old name. Come here, Oso. And he looked at me and then he just took off and he turned the corner on Highland. It's Sunset, which turns into Highland, which is a very busy uh, Hollywood and Highland area. And it, luckily it was rush hour, so the cars were kind of backed up. But he ran down that street and I, I ran after him and took the corner and didn't see him anywhere. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're two weeks in and he's going to get hit by a car. And this is this is a nightmare. And I eventually ended up finding him, but he had kind of uh, – and he was fine. So a, a bunch of people got out of their car and helped. And I got him back. But that was kind of the introduction to the fact that he doesn't like certain noises and gets spooked pretty easily. And then the skateboard thing, just, you know, uh, living in Hollywood in this certain area, there's a lot of skateboards. And uh, he just does not I, – I think it's more the noise, that rolling kind of wheels hitting the ground and that kind of, or da, da, you know, that yeah. repetitive noise. It ju- I mean, it's – he will drag you in the other direction. He, he is he – is, he, he has PTSD to the point where I assume at the time I was like, oh, he must have been like – owned by someone who had a skateboard and maybe they abused him with a skateboard and it's 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 the trauma of a skateboard clearly there's something tied to it more than just the sound of a skateboard yes yes so i don't know you know i don't know what what ties into it and uh and there's no way of knowing technically you know he he can't tell me and i don't know his history so we just start we try to stay clear of uh, skateboards whenever possible which um in california is I'm not saying it's the impossible, but it probably is more difficult in a California than most other places. Yeah, well, depending it. on where you, you know, any neighborhood or, sure. you know, especially Hollywood where people are just kind of skateboarding uh, around the neighborhoods. Uh, when we, I, I moved to Vancouver to work on a show uh, about five years ago. Um, and the, eventually I would, this is before I met my wife. And we started dating. She actually lived in Vancouver and she's a dual citizen. She's Canadian and American. And um, I lived in a neighborhood, Yale Town in Vancouver, which is a beautiful neighborhood. It's a lot of restaurants and sidewalks and there's a few dog parks here and there. And he really hated that neighborhood. And it wasn't a bad neighborhood. It was a much less traffic, busy neighborhood than even somewhere in Hollywood would have been. So I think it's just the commotion of streets and sidewalks. He's not a big fan of sidewalks or anything that could eventually be uh, uh, skateboarded on. You know what I mean? I think it's the idea that they're the impending doom of the eventual skateboard, but even like going to a dog park that was near a basketball court and like a walking area around Stanley park, people skateboard on those basketball courts and things like that he if he hears anything of that we can never go back to that area again he remembers it and it's triggering we went back to that dog park a month or two later and he just got out and started running around in the grass and was very happy and then he kind of popped his head up and looked around and he you could tell he was being like wait i've been here before 
<laughs> oh, oh no. fuck, we're out of here. And just <laughs> took off, like took off towards the road. He was leaving. Yeah, I'm talking about you. Anyways, <laughs> we've spent the first 10 minutes talking about the the anxieties of my dog. Uh, he's he's such a good dog, though. Like if you meet him in person, people are, his energy is so calm and, and he just lies there and literally you'd forget he's there. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's his flips. His flip side is he's got a bit of an anxiety to him as do I. And as to most people in this, this wonderful world we live in. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very fair. I know. Yeah. For me as somebody with, um, depression and anxiety, but certainly yeah, me like, too. An, hey, you know, to anxiety, certain, like of the two, both quite a bit, but anxiety is just a, a constant everyday thing in, in general, but certainly amplified in all of this like dear god yeah like it's it's strange a a heightened anxiety during this pandemic this last pre post it's never i I would say towards the end of the pandemic but who knows are we really just truly in the middle are we still in the beginning um yeah but i had a really bad bout of anxiety about a year before the pandemic where I just had like a relapse, I would almost call it, where my panic attacks just came and just kicked my ass. Uh, and, partic- and I've been dealing with them for about 20 years, but it was particularly bad. And I always talk about how I have like a short-term memory when it comes to my anxiety or depression. Whereas when it's happening, it always feels like the worst it's ever been. And then when it goes away, I never quite remember how bad it was. So that way Same. when it comes back... Yes. Hundred percent. It it just it feels brand new. So it was April of 2019, and it just it kicked my butt for most of that year. Um, I took some time off of work and got back into therapy and tried dieting and more mental health uh, um, coping mechanisms than I that I've used in my entire life, and then new ones and, and just tried everything. And it slowly started to get itself. Uh, under control by the new year 2020 and i had i had flown to see my wife in vancouver and flown back and that was a big step because fl- traveling was somewhat difficult yeah and then the, the everything shut down like two weeks later and in a sense it was it wasn't the worst thing because when you deal with a lot of anxiety you kind of become a bit of a shut-in anyways and you get comfortable in your own uh, surroundings and you know if we're watching tv or you're you're taking walks and stuff it's all very uh light and you can kind of set boundaries for yourself on what whatever triggers your anxiety or panic attacks mm-hmm. so parts of the pandemic weren't that bad but your mental health is starting to get so used to that that the idea when things slowly start to open you've gone back to square one. So I, I found that to be difficult trying to kind of get my legs back underneath me these last few months as, you know, vaccinations comes out and people start traveling more again or flying. I haven't flown yet, but anything of that nature. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting time for mental health in the last year and a half, two years. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I think, uh, what's your point about kind of, (laughs) Speaking about just having a kind of a short memory toward anxiety and being in it 
especially when you're you're out of it you know relatively speaking is i have the same like exact thing to where when you are anxious or you're consumed by it it's everything like it's everything at every moment for me and it's just so intense but when you're for me when i'm out of it it feels like a complete blur and then i move on and it's like that's you such know, a what, perfect yeah that's such a perfect description it's your it's your daily thoughts and anything you're going to do is done with the the idea of how you can not increase the anxiety or uh, avoid it or yeah. you know you start to you start to anticipate i always call it the anticipation of and you start to weave your life around things that won't be triggered or and then that's the toughest thing about panic attacks or anything because for me a lot of the times they have nothing to do with anything they're just completely random and out of the blue and they'll just come and blindside you during a good day you know it's not necessarily the worst that's happening it can be when things are great and so you start to anticipate them and then when they go away when you get into a a groove of, of good mental health. Yeah. You don't even think about what, you know, oh, I'm going to go for this car ride. Should I bring this with me in case you don't do that yeah. anymore? So that way when it does come, yeah, it's so much work your brain is doing. That's really a good point. It's so much work your brain is doing and anticipation or possibilities and coping that it just wears you out anyways. And then when you're, when you're having good mental health, you just kind of, you, you cruise yeah because it's like well it's because like you know in a weird way it's like well what else are you gonna do you can't you know you feel so hamstrung in such an intense period of time when you're in it that when you're out of it it's just like you can only mitigate things so much and anticipate the impossibilities and at a certain point it's like you can be alive without actually living so it's like what are you gonna do but i you know and and um it's just such a motherfucker. And like to your point about um, the fact that the what was your point? Good lord, I just had it. <laughs> and then I got then I started thinking about anxiety and got a little anxious thinking about the concept of it. Oh yes, um, yeah. So whenever I do podcasts or talk, you know, I did a bunch of mental health kind of Instagram lives during the first few months just to be like checking in. And uh, yeah, sometimes just even that can kind of uh, light a light a match of uh anxiety in you but yeah uh my point was just when you're in it you're in it yes and it's all encompassing and then when you're out of it uh, it's such bliss because i feel like your brain is doing so much less work yeah yeah it feels there's such a relief factor that also yes now i know what you're talking about too about how you can have a good day and then just get derailed by this seemingly inexplicable anxiety. And that's something I know for me that I've had to really fight is that is the feeling of deflation. Yeah. The feeling that you do every, you do everything quote unquote the right way. Like you eat well and you exercise and you put your mental health first and then you can still get completely derailed. And so I know for me, I'm trying to, I focus on not mitigating the deflation from it, because then that's really how you get back in it for me. And yeah, it's easier said say, than done. Be patient and be kind to yourself because the yeah. the feeling of defeat or 
it's just all adding on. It's funny. I, I did a therapy session a couple of days ago with a, a doctor or no, I guess she's not a doctor, a therapist, a woman. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not even sure what her title is actually. Uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, <laughs> and I was descri- it's the first time that we've, we've talked. So you have to do kind of your intro. You have to give her your intro. This is my history and this is what happens. And this is where I am. And you give her your spiel. Yeah. Your quick five minutes recap of your life, <laughs> which is so easy. <laughs> and then she talked about the language that I used, how that is very specific to your mental health when describing how you, what you go through and and what you need or want like those words i need i want i just want to feel better at this and those are all very specific to the way you speak um can really just really move you in the directions you want to go if you're using a lot of negative words or words that are not proactive then that 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 already is starting you off on the wrong foot so those are things i definitely have to work on i've as i'm talking to you and i go through that what we just talked about i don't even know if the word i'm like should i be using these specific words when describing how i deal with anxiety and then you know that's and i think it would make a big difference i i'm definitely looking forward to working on that with her more but even that, like the way you describe it or the way you describe how you want to get to a better place, like get to a better place. Is that the right thing to say? <laughs> I don't even yeah. know. And yeah. now I'm thinking about that and my brain is already just very tired. See, and that's what's so tough. I know for me too is that, uh, and I don't, I'm not saying that there's like a reciprocal thing necessarily, but having anxiety and me being such an overthinker can if I'm in a, on the positive end of the spectrum of a good mood can be amazing. Right. Cause yeah. you think about yeah. that good stuff, but then if you're in a bad mood, you have to work that much harder as an overthinker to not go down that road too much to claw, to claw out of that rut. Right. And, and again, it's so, e- it's so easy to say it and so difficult to do in the moment because it's so clouded by this anxiety that is just weighing you down. Yeah. I am I am in utter awe of those who uh, are able to deal with it and in, in such a, a successful way. And then, you know, and it's why when you watch this stuff with like the Olympics and Simone Biles and her dealing with her mental health and even yeah. uh, the tennis player. Um, Osaka. Yeah. And then just any over the last any any time in the last couple of years when mental health comes up with any person in the public eye i just have such a empathy for them and connection to them and i love when a celebrity or athlete is able to talk about it honestly because i think that helps so many people that's why i've always tried to be so open and honest about it and i do get a lot of feedback from people who are like oh i really appreciate that you were able to talk about it and uh, you know I don't have near the platform and especially when it comes to sports and athletics, that's looked at differently. You know, you're supposed to work through this and be this person. And you saw it with Simone Biles, like the, the backlash she received from people because, you know, 
you're a professional athlete. How is your, this, you know, and I've always equated it like her blowing out her hamstring and having a serious panic attack. It should be looked at the same way. You know, it's, it's a debilitating thing that occurs. And, and then you take into effect, account what she's doing for a sport and if her mind isn't right and she's flipping through the air i mean that's even more catastrophic like i've had anxiety when i've played basketball and it's never been a danger to the fact of you know unless i'm going up for a a layup and i i get disoriented or i don't feel you know what i mean but if she's doing a back flipping somersault with a twist and her mind isn't right she could land on her head and it's, you know, catastrophic. So it's just really, it was, it's amazing to watch when um, those people in the public eye, I, I, like Kevin Love for the NBA and a few other NBA players. Um, yeah. They talk about the things they deal with, with mental health. And I, I really, really appreciate it. And I have such a, it gives me such a, a hopeful feeling. And then when you see the backlash online, and of course it's online, which is a, can be a horrible hellscape in its own sense, but it's yeah. still, you would like it because I think someone said it the other day, Simone Biles won't see your comments about how you think she's a quitter uh, or, and in some cases she will, you know, Kevin Durant, you can't see anything on Twitter that he won't <laughs> eventually come find. And re- he sees everything. He sees everything. Um, but Simone Biles, she won't see it, but your friends who deal with something similar will see it and they will know how, you know what I mean? Like Piers Morgan, who I just hate his fucking existence. Um, and he always has something to say about someone's mental health or someone in, he just, and I don't want to give him any, he's a miserable bastard. He's a miserable, Miserable I hate him so much, but yes. And you know, and he is a, a person that has a very vocal you know, on a platform that he's trending and then you see it. So yeah, she will see that. But then there's the hundreds of people that I imagine, you know, are in his life on a daily basis. So I'm like, you know, I always wonder how that works when certain people are so toxic and a lot of their things. I'm like, you must have, you know, you must have people in your life who deal with the things that you are so brazenly, uh, 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 critical of online. Uh, I, I suspect he just... doesn't get. I suspect he doesn't get invited to a lot of dinner parties. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he is a guy who has like a very nice house and has, you know, what are I guess are defined by some people as like the life. But he's by himself in his house a lot. Yeah. Despite his quote unquote friends, and anyway, I think also that, a... that stuff catches up with you. Yeah, it will. Yeah, it, of course it will. It, 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 anything that you say or do in a public forum, if you speak out about or make fun of, or eventually it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Mostly For that's sure. the COVID thing we've been going through. The, uh, the anti-vaxxers seem to be very loud, uh, from time to time. And you always see these stories. Now it's this, it's, it's almost its own genre of, it's almost its own horror genre, which is anti-vaxxer or anti COVID or non-believer comes out and says, it's not a big deal. It's the flu. I'll never get that needle in me. And then we, two weeks later, they're, they're like, Oh man, I got COVID. I'm having a lot of trouble breathing. Send your prayers. And then the story always ends with so-and-so passed away from, you know, yeah. and it's, and it, I, 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 
I can't, I would never take, you know, I would never like take glee from someone's demise like that, but you see it so often now you're just, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. It just but, seems to be happening so often. I don't know. Anyways. Well, I, I know what you mean though. I'm in the same, I was thinking about this today actually about how in the case of like, um, anti-vaxxers that get sick and then it's way too late and then some of them not all of them uh even realize the error of, of their ways right i cannot revel in that i cannot do that i don't see that and get any kind of satisfaction no i will i all. hope people see that and don't end up there it's the best it, i can do it really is a tragedy yes. it's and to your point though like i i just <laughs> i i just fear that the more i see it the less all the more I'll get desensitized towards it, and I don't want that right. because I can't celebrate the death of other people. I cannot do that. No. But I also do think simultaneously it doesn't have to be this way, and I still get mad about it, and I find it infuriating, and I am curious when the FDA approves the vaccines what their arguments are going to become because that is the argument for plenty of them. Yeah, I have a few friends who some of their people are, are various i have some family that are not getting vaccinated and they're for many different reasons and some you will see the well i'm waiting if for it to be approved and uh, you know it's it's there is you know i talked to one of my friends mentioned a friend of hers i don't know this woman and she she has been a chronically chronically sick person for a long time mm-hmm. uh and and to the point where they it's been undiagnosed or she's dealt with a lot of doctors who, which is another side of, I've had friends in the past who, who just get sick and there's this, this, this thing that happens where they, they can't get diagnosed correctly and it just goes on and on and on. And it sounds like just the horrible, most, most horrible, uh, uh, soul crushing thing when you have this constant chronic illness and they can't tell you what it is or they can't treat it quite correctly. And it's just this thing. You know what I mean? Like the helplessness of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you almost would be like, just tell me what horrible thing it is. I would rather know and be able to either be like, all right, it's going to kill me or I can treat it. But if it's this ongoing undiagnosed illness. And so this woman kind of has had that, which makes her very susceptible, susceptible to a lot of things. But then again, she also just doesn't trust any you know she has enough troubles with her health on an everyday basis so she doesn't trust the idea of sticking something in her that is still could be questioned by some people and and but she has said she's not she's like once my daughter goes back to school then i will do it because i don't have a choice but you know so there are some sides to it where you're like i can see where you would stand on that but then there's the other who just blatantly are like you know my freedoms and uh you know this this and that but yeah I, to your point though there are um <laughs> despite that the that the binary of this or that that the internet tends to traffic in there are nuances in many many things out there what position did you play in basketball by the way i played point guard growing up point guard. in high yeah i was i guess it would have been shooting guard I mean, I was about six feet, six one in high school, and I played some shooting guard and then point guard, and then I actually played basketball in college, Division three. Yeah. Nothing, nothing too exciting, but um, but still. And then by then, point guard would have been the actual, you know, at six one, I would have that was the right size. But yeah, no, I I 
I grew up playing a lot of sports. I didn't actually theater or acting wasn't an interest of mine. It just wasn't a, a big thing in my at my school or they did some theater until I was much late in, into my mid to late 20s. I ended up moving to California in a sense because it was a nice place to move to. And I had uh, a mutual friend out here. And he was able to, you know, we went out and visited and I was coming from the East Coast, New England area. And I was like, oh, it'd be nice to go out there and maybe I'll give acting a try. You know, I'll do some improv and classes and things. So it didn't really take off until later. That's pretty wild. Which was, yeah, it's a shocking change to some of the people I grew up with. You know, when they catch up with you years later and you're acting or doing, they're, they're like, I saw you on television. And they're just like, I did not, you know, I was a very outgoing kind of sociable person growing up and and i I don't want to say class clown but yeah you know funny and stuff but yeah acting was never uh something i even i even thought possible well i would imagine improv you know versus i guess for you as somebody who wasn't hadn't planted the seeds early on or was just like oh yeah this person's going to be an actor because you just hadn't really dabbled in it as much in high school that i would think that improv went a long way to to committing to a character i feel like that's a big deal for that yeah it kind of taught me just getting up there and playing and it's the type of thing you did as a kid you know i with my cousins and stuff you it's all make-believe and pretend and you're you're do you know you're you're just playing and then when you get older and you do an improv class and they kind of teach you the improv like the rules when it's like you take this so you you start at the basics um, and yes, and, and you learn and, and create scenes. Um, and then I, I started doing sketch comedy. Um, but it was more, it wasn't as much like a groundling sketch where you, it's a lot of characters or wigs. I've had a lot of friends who have done that. It was more um, just straight ahead. You put yourself in situations that were a little bit more real. And you mm-hmm. kind of played yourself in those situations, you know. Okay. Uh, I'm married and I have four kids, but it's still kind of me. And uh, a fire breaks out in the house and we would write it out. And so that was kind of the introduction to acting uh, that helped me find my voice, I guess, is the way to, to describe mm-hmm. it. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then I've done some where you do characters and, and wigs and things like that and accents and um, but the, I think for the acting you're, you're going to end up doing on television or film, uh, you're less likely to get to do a character in a sense when it's, you're more likely to find the best version of the, find a role that fits the best version or a different version of you. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point there, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you, whatever you fall into and they're like, oh, we like you as this kind of character or this person, or we like your personality in this setting then you you do that as much as you can until you have the ability to branch out and play something different you know once uh you've established yourself have you been doing like remote auditions during covid it has been yeah it's all it's all on tape yeah from last year and basically uh everything shut down in march and i think it started to kind of get going again in the summer so it's all uh tape it yourself at home self tapes which when when my wife jessica when we were living in los angeles pre-pandemic 
we she had to do a lot of cell tapes for stuff that would have been in Vancouver. So we had gotten a nice light uh, set up like a what are the circle lights. What are those things called? Yeah, the ring lights. Ring light. And we had set it up so you can put your phone on it and we, you know, have a nice, decent background to kind of record with your phone. So we had kind of gotten that going pretty regularly pre-pandemic. I always say she's like one of the best on tape auditioners I've ever seen. She can just take any material and within a half hour put this audition down and you're just like, gosh, she makes these choices. And uh, it's it's kind of annoying to watch because it, she does it so well. So and then once the pandemic hits, you know, there's a few months of nothing where you're just, you know, in your house doing whatever. But then auditions start up again. And yeah, it's been all self tapes. And then you'll have an occasional Zoom audition here and there or a a producer session. So you're on Zoom with four different boxes open and then you're setting your light up and you're trying to audition to. Yeah, it's all very interesting and weird, but definitely something that uh, you get the hang of over time. And it would be great to get to go back and audition a person. I always really enjoy being in the rooms and you get the interaction with the casting director and they'll give you some on the spot feedback or let's try it like this. And, you know, cause they're kind of the extension of what the production is looking for. And then if you have a callback with like a director, you get to kind of interact with them that way. And then you, what you can do on zoom, but it's still a little less personal, a little more um, stagnant, I guess. Yeah. I've talked to some people who have, done the auditions in that very same way and they talked about how it's yeah it's you know there's a good and bad element to it that it's nice to not have to commute and that takes up a huge chunk of time and can be almost like mentally taxing as you're thinking about it on the way but then at the same time to your point like you can't be there in person feed off the energy it's maybe there's less it's less intuitive yeah than it might be otherwise and that can go a long way yeah there was the i saw someone talk about how auditioning in person you know, if you live in Los Angeles and you have to go to two auditions in a day, you're getting in your car, you're driving 10, 15, 20 minutes, you do the audition, then you got to drive somewhere else, and then there's gas and you're driving. And, uh, you know, even that after a while, if you, a week of auditions, you, by the end of the week, you may be like, oh, I just feel like I'm driving everywhere. So that it's yeah. when one thing is the, is happening all the time, you're always going to be like, hmm, I wish I could do the other thing. And if the other thing's happening all the time. So yeah, the, the idea that you're just doing it from home has its benefits, but then, yeah, you miss being in the room. And plus as an actor, your day was that kind of process. You know, you'd get up, you take a shower, you eat whatever. And then you're like driving in the car. Or if you're in New York, you're taking the subway and you're preparing. Yeah. You know, you, you know that you're going from A to B to do this. And then once it's done, you've, you drive away. And then when you're uh, doing it on tape, you're, recording these things and you have unlimited you know things you can do with it which is a great thing because it gives you opportunity to figure it out but also a little too much freedom sometimes that you're like well let's just do it one more time whereas if you were in the room it would be one or one or two and done which is a good thing to hold yourself to because you can (laughs) you can try to make it perfect or keep adding things or you lose them get a little too precious yeah if you, you yeah you can lose the spontaneity if you're have too much freedom so there are a couple different ways it's all everything is one way when you're able to do it and you're you're always wishing you could do other things so a nice 
meeting of the middle would, would be a good thing, I would think, you know. I would love to get back into some rooms, but it is a lot. And then I, I talked to a casting director. She's like, I can see a lot more people now because I'm getting these tapes. And so that gives more opportunities for, that gives more opportunities for, oh, great. I just got my mail-in ballot. That's funny. I was just going to do that. Anyways, that gives you more opportunities for people to be seen and to get work. Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, but I, I know what you mean, though, but there's something to be said for, like, that mental line of demarcation to where when you have the ritual of doing this, getting up, going there, doing that, when it's done, it's done. Yeah, I, I did like that sense of it. It, it. There's a there's a structure to it. I need that as a person, so that yeah, I would probably yeah, I take to more. That, yeah. I want to ask you about For All Mankind. Yeah, Fire, we've, 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 I know we're, we're cruising along here. I, I can definitely have more time. We can talk about some of the other questions you had. And we spent a lot of time on the dog. So <laughs> I enjoyed feel... it. I know. No, no, it's great. And the mental oh, health doing. stuff is great. Yeah. It, what, uh, let's talk about some shows and things. Okay. So for all mankind, this is just as broad a question as you can get. Because let me preface by saying huge fan of that. Season two came out in December, I believe. It's on Apple TV. Yeah. Apple both Plus. seasons on Apple TV or Apple Plus. It's fantastic. It's yeah, a it's fantastic a, it's a show, cool show about uh, the alternative history of the world, U.S. NASA space program, the what if if Russia landed on the moon first, and the ripple effects thereof. It's a hell of a, an ensemble cast. Very interesting the way they different alternative points in history percolate and how some things still happen but are based on this new. Ver- it's really it's very nuanced in the choices in that. It's very very good. I, this is the broad, stupid question, but how's, how's the experience of that? Because as a viewer, I love it. Uh, first of all, thanks. That I'm so glad you enjoy it. Yeah, it's it's found a bit of an audience after the second season. And after the first season ended and, and then as the second season, I don't think a lot of people saw it at first. You know, it was one of the first shows Apple TV did. And... Um, and, you know, the, the morning show and a few others. So I think people have found it. I think Ted Lasso helped a lot. A lot of people, I always yeah. tell people if they were going to watch them, like, well, have you watched Ted Lasso? And they're like, of course I haven't. Like, it's the same. It's the same thing. If you can figure that out, you can figure this out. Um, but, yeah, it's been a, it's such an amazing experience. Um, I really enjoy the show. First of all, I'm a fan of the show uh, myself. So that always helps when you're on something that you truly enjoy and you find to be really interesting and it's well acted and it looks incredible the production value yeah. and the cinematography and the way they recreate the moon and space um is really done well done and then the characters and the actors are just i've been really lucky in my career uh to have gotten to work with a lot of ensemble groups that have a lot of different actors some are just starting out and some have been doing it for a while and uh, the way that they go about their process of, of uh, creating their character. It's always fun to watch that and, and see how certain people uh, attack a role. So you can pick up little things from everyone you ever get to work with. So that's a big, big plus about doing this show. And, and then they really dig into, they take their time. You know, that's one of the great things about these streaming platforms and, you know, they have, the ability to tell a story over a longer period of time and really dig into the characters and, and, and the, the story. And they, you know, for all mankind has some scenes that are just 
four, five, six minutes of just two characters talking and discussing, you know, and you mix that in with uh, the 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 suspenseful stuff they'll have happen in space because space back then was such a uh, a dangerous, you know, there's a chance you go and you go to the moon, you either you land in the moon, but then there's an even better chance you might not make it back. So, yeah. And, and then I get to play a character who never goes to the moon, which is fine with me because I don't know if I would do well in those suits. Anyways, when I tell people about the show, they're like, <laughs> who do you play? I'm like, I'm the husband of the first female uh, to walk on the moon or go to the moon. And, uh, and I, it, it's, you know, I've done, some pretty good things over my career, but I feel like I get some of the best reactions to this character from for all mankind. Just the, the, the way his personality is at this time in our history, you know, the seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties, um, being the husband of a powerful woman who's obviously her career is the beacon of their marriage and the success she goes through and him being her support and then also being one of the astronauts' wives, but he's an astronaut's husband, so that plays a lot. You know the way that they handle themselves, very by the book and very little emotion. And then he comes in and brings this emotion to this group of wives who have to stay at home and watch their husbands go do these incredible things. I'm supporting my my wife in that sense. So uh, that's been really really fun to play. And then. Uh, the the response to that has been great. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who caught the show during the pandemic and towards the end of it, and they normally don't reach out about anything. You know, you have friends who see things, but I feel like a lot of people have, have are catching up to For All Mankind and really enjoying it. And the second season was fantastic, especially the end. It was super intense, but while still sticking to a, 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 a you know a heartful story. So. Absolutely. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It is great. I think, you know, to your point, I think the pandemic has allowed people to discover more shows, and I think this is absolutely one of them. And also, that second season has been on a lot of early lists of the best seasons of TV of the year. Yeah, yeah. I saw, like, Rolling Stone and a few others. And I think we got a TCA nomination for show. Um, And there was some Emmy talking things. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's nice that people are getting to see... Uh, this story, but then some of the actors on it who are probably are not as much household names, but you recognize them um, getting to shine and things like that. It's been great. Yeah, the pandemic has made it so you, I mean, at some point you're going to watch everything, so you just keep yeah. moving through. <laughs> exactly. We There's everything there is to watch, we have watched. I mean, pretty, pretty much. I've watched many, many things. And with from on my account to your point, like the ensemble has a lot of people that you've seen in things and maybe you didn't realize you saw them in things, you know, or, or like Joel Kinnaman, who just in the Suicide Squad. So yeah. he, he is overtly very visible. But like Michael Dorman, I saw on Patriot before oh, this. And and I was like, who is that guy? Dear God. And Sarah Jones, I saw on Damnation. And I was like, who is that? Yeah. And Chantel Van Satin, uh, Santon, I saw on The Boys. And I was like, who is that? It's so many like people that pop that really get times to shine in this show. Yeah, Chantel and I, we a lot of our scenes have been together in that relationship with yeah. Karen, the, the the character she plays. She's an astronaut's wife, and how we connect over that. Uh, yeah, it's well, yeah, Michael Dorman, for example. My wife had started watching Patriot pre-pandemic, 
before I was doing For All Mankind. It wasn't mm-hmm. while it was on. She just found it one day and was so madly in love with it. I think she watched both seasons. Uh, we might have been apart, like I was working somewhere, and she she watched them both, and she kept telling me about the show, and I just didn't get a chance to watch. And then she might have actually started watching it again, because she also directs, and she just loves the way the show is shot and the dialogue and the way it, the flow and the It's energy. fantastic. If you haven't seen yes. Patriot on uh, uh, Amazon, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. It's and then fantastic. Michael Dorman, truly one of my favorite active performances of any show, um, he's phenomenal in that show. So then I started watching it uh, a few months after she did and then eventually booked for all mankind and then realized that Michael was on it. So I was so excited to meet him and just talk about that show, especially the Rochambeau scene. Uh, if you know Patriot, you know the Rochambeau scene. I was just, I've watched it a million times. I'm like, how did they shoot this? And basically the paper, rock, scissors scene for those who don't yeah. know what I'm talking about. And so I eventually got to ask him and different things about the show. And then he turns, he's also just the best guy. He like, he couldn't be nicer and just sweeter and funny. And, uh, and then also, you know, playing a completely different character on for all mankind. He's just fantastic in everything. And truly one of my favorite actors working today. And I tell them that him that all the time. And he's also just super humble. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then Joel uh, Kinnaman, who I knew from The Killing, which again, mm-hmm. his performance in that is just one of my favorites. And then, yeah, he just did a Suicide Squad, which I loved. And I had gotten this year to work with James Gunn, which was just a dream come true. Um, I did a, a couple episodes in Peacemaker, which is coming out, coming to HBO in January. And um, people are going to be, if you love Suicide Squad, you know, the Peacemaker character after I knew of Peacemaker before the Suicide Squad came out, obviously. And then once I watched Suicide Squad, I was like, oh, man, I can totally see why they're you doing a spinoff with this character and Cena. And I got to work with John Cena, who was awesome and incredibly funny and also just insanely muscular and big. Like he <laughs> he's an incredible uh, specimen of a person to be around. Both his personality and his and his uh, his arms. <laughs> he has the biggest arms <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, it is funny that to your point that he's like you know when you see somebody of his size, both height and width, of a guy that big, you're like, oh, that is a guy who's going to be in action movies only, and yeah. he's going to have no personality, and he's going to look stern, and he's going to fight, and he can do that. But he f- really flourishes with subtle comedic moments. He, and that's, He's very good. And and that was the great thing, James and him, because they had done suicide together. And he has so many funny moments in that. By the time we're into Peacemaker, I think I'm in the second or third episode. So you can tell their, their, their vibe is going. So some of the improv or, you know, James is very specific with every inch of the show from the any action that happens to the music, to the dialogue, to the visuals. I mean, getting to read his scripts, that was a win for me alone. Like doing a table read and seeing the way his mind works. When you look at like guardians of the galaxy and and those movies that he's done, you really see his brain, the way like anything you saw in the suicide squad, all the crazy visuals. I mean, he's written that down to the, to the period. So, He'll have you do the scene 
uh, as it's written, and then he'll let you kind of, he'll add some stuff in and then let you kind of run a little bit with it. And so I got to do some of that with Cena and just, God, he's so funny too with improv. And um, he just has such a dry, sarcastic uh, sense of humor and then yet over the top and, and outlandish. And yeah, I can't wait for people to see that. That show is going to be insane. Yeah, I think that's going to be really fun. And to your point, when I was watching The Suicide Squad, of everyone in that show, The Peacemaker made the most sense to further develop because of the tra- even just within that film, the trajectory of the character and the evolution of it within that one movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, to a long-form show, this makes so much sense. Yeah, he he definitely was one of my favorite characters. I think I was a little biased coming in, but <laughs> after the fact, I, he still was. And I re- first, everyone in that is phenomenal. Like, I... yeah. Obviously, if I didn't like the movie, I would be a little. I wouldn't come out and openly say it since I am. I am working with, and I would love to continue to work with James Gunn. But truly, I'm such a big fan of his work, anyways. And then I just thought that movie was fantastic and funny and dark and and brutal and violent, but then also had a heart. And he's the king of making animal characters just the best part of any movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, it started with Groot and then uh, Rocket and Guardians and now King Shark and even the rat. I mean, the rat was fucking just fantastic. And King Shark is such a Groot in the, in the line of Groot and Rocket, just one of my favorite characters in the whole thing. So yeah, it's... Um, but Peacemaker definitely stood out. But then his storyline, you know, and I don't want to give anything away. Um, yeah. He has this actual uh, arc where, you know, good guy, bad guy, what is he? And then as it continues to go. And I also love that they call him out a few times where they're like, he's, you know, he'll kill anyone as long as it's in the name of peace, which is such a funny yeah. uh, thing. And then, yeah. So uh, January, 2022, uh, I got a fun little bit and Peacemaker. Uh, so that, yeah, that HBO should be Max. great. Yeah, well, I think to your point too about like the Suicide Squad that, you know, I mean, not to be dramatic about it, but for a movie, most any giant budgeted film to really take swings feels a little bit more rare than not, let alone one that's in the comic book genre. And that movie took so many huge, very ambitious and impressive swings. Yeah. Which yeah. I am deeply respectful of. Yeah, he um, he's he's really good at what he does. I look forward to everything he does going forward, and I've enjoyed all the stuff in the past. But he has a real grasp on how to tell an interesting story and whatever he's getting into. You know, the genre that he is in. You know, now he does Marvel and DC, so it'll be interesting to see what he does next or where his. I I, I also enjoy the fact that he truly is a fan of the things he's doing, like. I've read a few things or heard, you know, he was given the opportunity to do DC and they asked him what he wanted to do. And, you know, that's what he chose. And those are the characters he really wanted to do. So he, as a, a, I'm not a comic book person or anything in that sense, but he is. So you can tell his passion comes out in uh, whatever story he's going to tell, he's going to give it to you the the best and most rounded, you know, uh, version of it. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that he, I think it takes a fan to be like, I'm going to give a genuinely emotional arc to Polka Dot Man and <laughs> yeah. give real, real like emotional stakes to that character. And to David, you know, uh, Dasmalshan's 
credit. Like he, what a what a performance. Well, on he's top of that, yeah, too. he's so he's great. amazing. What um, an amazing actor. He's so fantastic, and of course for that he it just yeah he really he's yeah he's great. But uh, yeah, uh, James seems to give each character the ability to have a full arc of story with humor, but then also heart and and yet able to do it with so many different characters for one movie. Yes. Uh, which seems like it would be so difficult, but it's it flows so seamlessly. Like, you know, each of those characters had something besides some of the other ones that are part of the actual Suicide Squad. Again, not to give anything away, but, yeah, you know, the main group, they each had an arc throughout that entire thing. And it's just crazy that he's able to tell that story for so many different uh, characters in a two hour movie. It's an impressive juggling act. And to not, to your point, to not use the character's just for the sake of a plot device. Right. Which is, I would imagine, like, it'd be very easy to lean into that if you wanted to. So it deserves a lot of credit. And it's a, it's a hell of an accomplishment as a film. And I recommend everybody see it. Just came out last week. Yeah, I'm not Please in it. That. But we're going <laughs> to give it a big, we're going to give it a big push right now. And everybody go see it. <laughs> yes. And then January, HBO Max, Peacemaker, the extension of the Peacemaker storyline. Season line. one. I yeah, that. I don't know. They, they've... I guess they'll see how it goes and speculation of maybe doing more, but yeah. And then whatever, you know, I, uh, I've seen a lot of things posted about, you know, different characters from that, those movies getting other things to do in this universe or it's one of the great things about Marvel right now is they've taken some of these characters and they've given them their own origin movies or movies, but then also the these television series, which I'm not sure if I would be as interested in a movie about some of these characters. And then the series ends up being this great thing because you can really dig into a lot of different backstory. Like the Wanda, I didn't expect to enjoy Wanda nearly as much as I did. Yeah. And it was it was fantastic. I'd not seen that yet or the um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but I did watch Loki. And I, oh, yeah, I quite and enjoyed Loki it. Too. Yeah, and a Loki, a character that we've already seen... A good amount of. And they kept it fresh, though. And, you know, all credit to... What an inspired choice to have Owen Wilson in that. Who is a delight. Tom Hiddleston (laughs) is a fantastic actor, too. And Jonathan Majors, I'm blown away by. I think he's one of the most exciting actors out there. Oh, um, the... Yeah, King... uh, Kang and... um, Kang the Conqueror, yeah. For the first time in the HBO show, what is the... Lovecraft... Yes, Lovecraft, Lovecraft County. Country, right? Country. Uh, and yeah, he he immediately, you can't help but immediately be interested in what he's doing. And then, yeah, what a perfect, when he shows up at the very end of that series, knowing that going forward, he's he's going to be in, uh, in uh, what is he, in Doctor Strange coming up or one of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. Really great. He's very exciting and very unpredictable in, a, in an eminently fascinating way. I'm very excited for that. Uh, okay, I don't want to hold up too much more of your time. We've gone over what I promised. We're way over, but that was great. Either way, we get yes. to talk about a lot of good stuff. What all do you want to point people toward for All Mankind Season 2 and Season 1 on Apple Plus? Yeah, uh, what for else? All Mankind Season 2, Season 1, Apple Plus, uh, Peacemaker in 2022 if you if you feel so inclined my favorite show that i ever got to do for a big time in hollywood florida that it's isn't even on a streaming service we only got to do one season 
I don't even know. I'm not even sure. I think two or 300 people have seen it and every one of them seems to really enjoy it. So if you want, I guess you could buy it or I don't even know how to watch it at this point. I don't know. You can buy it on streaming services. Uh, You can also watch it on the Comedy Central website. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't a great website, but um, which I don't I don't recommend from a functionality standpoint. But no. you technically can if you just I think it's like ten bucks on uh, Amazon uh, or uh, Apple or something, and just send me the bill if you if you <laughs> really are. <laughs> My favorite job I ever got to do was uh, big time in Hollywood, Florida. It was such a fun, amazing experience, and uh, again, I just got to work with another group of really incredible people. Um, and also just the wild assortment of people, including, but not limited to, Kathy Baker, Stephen Tobolowsky, Keith David, Cuba Gooding Jr., Michael Madsen. Jason like that, Alexander. Jason Alexander. Brian Husky. Brian Husky. Friend former of the show. guest. Paz Vega. Yeah. Jane Kazmarek, Matt Besser, so many people. Yeah, it's such a such a great group. We had such a good time. Uh, Michael Madsen and Cuba in particular were fantastic we were with them a larger amount and then steven tobolowski if ned ryerson from uh, groundhog day <laughs> is as good as can be imagined and um he also has a great podcast because he has more stories than any person alive he's an amazing storyteller he's he, he he tells a great story but he's also just seen and done it all and worked with everyone and yeah that was a that was a, a wonderful experience john bass who uh is in a lot of different things you can see now. Alex and Dan, who are the creators, and Alex, who played my brother, are just geniuses and uh, and should be making a lot more things. And funny enough, Alex is engaged. Yeah. And the father of Anna Conkles, uh, who, who created Pen15. Which is one of the best shows out there. And one of the best, absolutely. And Maya and Anna were in big time. They had a. They were oh, wow. in two different episodes of Big Time. They were our wives slash uh, strippers, I think. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, Pen Fifteen is truly one of the most brilliant, amazing, again, heart-filled shows that's on television. It's fantastic. That's a hell of a. Thank you. They just had a child, and uh, that's Anna and Alex's kid. Is it, a, has a lot of pressure to be a comedy genius when it grows up. <laughs> yeah, yeah no was, pressure at all. Just to eminently very very funny people yeah yeah <laughs> thank you again for doing this this is it a was such a pleasure brandon it was nice to meet you nice talking to you thanks for chatting of course thank you for your time and thank you everyone for listening and stay safe and get vaccinated and take care of yourself and be kind to yourself and be kind to others thank you again goodbye